get it. Wednesday, November 27th, 2019. Born the Battle. Brought to you by the Department of Veterans Affairs. The podcast that focuses on inspiring veteran stories and puts a highlight on important resources, offices, and benefits for our veterans. I am your host, Marine Corps veteran Tanner Iskra. Hope everyone had a good week outside of podcast land. Uh, over the weekend, I took my father-in-law to see Midway. Uh, that movie had a lot more to it than I thought. Had a little bit of Pearl Harbor, had a little bit of Doolittle's Raid, and then it got to the Battle of Midway. Uh, my father-in-law and I, it's kind of our way we bond. We try to watch as many military films as we can to support the genre, um, especially in the era of the comic book and fantasy films and television and all that. Couple ratings, one review, couple messages in the inbox this week. Uh, one of those messages we'll get to at the end of the show. Uh, this review comes from GB underscore one. Great message. Well done. Overall, great podcast. From the topics to the interviews, variety of information here is great. Shares a great message from all types of veterans and organizations supporting veterans. GB underscore one, thank you for the review. Thank you for your listenership. And I look forward to bringing you more of what you want. And as always, thank you for the feedback. It helps me shape the show. Shape the show. That's that's a I should probably rewrite that. And remember, the more you rate, review, subscribe to this podcast, the better chances other veterans out there in podcast land get a chance to listen in and hear not only these great stories, but the benefits breakdown episodes and the information provided in the news releases. Speaking of news releases, last week, Secretary Wilkie uh, praised members of the House Committee on Veterans Affairs for setting the goal of getting important veteran suicide prevention legislation passed before the end of the year. On November 20th, the Secretary testified before Congress in support of H.R. 3495, otherwise known as the Improved Wellbeing for Veterans Act. Here are a couple of highlights from the Secretary's opening statement that we've been able to uh, procure. Go ahead and take a listen. Um, while we are here, two veterans will take their lives. Since the first shots were fired at Lexington, 41 million Americans have put on the uniform, and well over a million have paid the ultimate price. But this issue, the issues that we faced in dealing with the incommunicable experience of war and its aftermath is not new. In the 1890s, President Benjamin Harrison it was not known for much other than being in between two non-successive terms of Grover Cleveland, was alarmed at the reports he was receiving from the Department of War that suicides among the officer corps were spiking. He was the first president to order statistics to be gathered on the trends and the costs of suicide amongst those in uniform. In the last two years, we have been the first to finally come to the table and say this is a crisis that needs to be addressed. Every day, 20, 20 veterans take their lives. 60% of those have no contact with us, and the majority of those are from the Vietnam era. I saw through the eyes of the child the residue and the cost of that conflict. My own father, three Purple Hearts, after three years of recovery from his last wounds, returned to the 82nd Airborne Division, the most decorated combat unit in the armed forces of the United States, 
and because of the times, was not allowed to wear his uniform off post. It is his comrades who have been suffering the most. And to put that into a timeline, Lyndon Johnson left Washington 50 years ago in January. That, has, that is how long the problems that our Vietnam veterans have faced have been going on. And I want to get to the, to the argument that I believe was made in the, uh, in the round table, and that is privatization. And let me put this in context. The budget for this department set aside $18 million for these programs. $18 million is not a lot of money for us. We have a $9.5 billion mental health budget inside of a $220 billion VA budget. Only in Washington, D.C. would someone say that using $18 million to get community partners engaged in the lives of veterans is a pathway to privatization and the degradation of services. It will not happen. In a time when Washington, D.C. is divided, as it has not been certainly since Vietnam and perhaps the Civil War, uh, this is an opportunity to say, when it comes to warriors, that enough is enough. This legislation has brought together conservatives, it has brought together liberals, and it has brought together moderates on both sides of the House. It is our way of supplementing what this committee has already done with the Mission Act, with accountability, uh, in letting us get out to those communities and say, please help us find these warriors. Uh, as I said at the beginning, it started in the 1890s. And we are sadly finally getting around to addressing this as a nation. But we have an opportunity here, and this is a very good first start. And I thank you, Mr. Chairman. The bipartisan bill, which currently has 228 co-sponsors, would allow VA to offer direct grants to veteran service organizations, caregivers, and nonprofits at the state and local level, letting these groups use grants to tailor aid to the veterans in their communities for the purposes of suicide prevention. While the Committee on Veteran Affairs leaders are finalizing the precise legislative vehicle and language through which to accomplish the goals of H.R. 3495, the chairman, Mark Tanako, during the hearing, expressed support for getting the final legislation passed in 2019. I do want this legislation to pass before the end of the year, Tanako said. After the hearing, Secretary Robert Wilkie released the following statement. To reach the roughly 60% of veterans who die by suicide each day without any recent connection to VA care, the government needs to reach far beyond its walls and work with as many partners as it can. I am fighting for legislation that would give VA the ability to do just that. And I'm encouraged that Chairman Tanako shares my goal of getting the legislation passed before the end of the year. All right, and the next one says, for immediate release, VA reports significant increase in veteran use of telehealth services. The U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs found more than 900,000 veterans used VA telehealth services in fiscal year 2019, as revealed in a mid-October report. The 17% increase over the prior fiscal year contributed to VA's delivery of more than 2.6 million episodes of telehealth care in fiscal year 2019. This comes as VA improves its efforts to inform veterans about telehealth service options, like this podcast, and with completion of the first full fiscal year of VA's Anywhere to Anywhere initiative. 
The telehealth program allows VA healthcare teams to treat veterans regardless of the location, including across state lines. By the end of fiscal year 2020, all primary care and mental health providers will be able to deliver care to patients both in person and via a mobile or web-based device. Use of the VA Video Connect app, which connects veterans to their care teams through a secure video session, increased by 235% in fiscal year 2019. More than 99,000 veterans used the app at home, eliminating a trip to the nearest VA facility. Also in October, and we reported this on the podcast, VA launched Atlas, which is otherwise known as Accessing Telehealth Through Local Area Stations, in Eureka, Montana, to provide timely care for veterans who live long distances from VA medical centers or have poor internet connectivity at home. Additional locations are scheduled to open as pilot sites in select American Legion posts and Veteran of Foreign Wars posts and Walmart stores. And I'll post some links that uh, will give you further further research on that on the on the blog at blogs.va.gov. All right, so back in episode 152, Born the Battle's guest was Camp Valor Outdoors' Denise Loring. She gave a brief overview of the entire Camp Valor Outdoors nonprofit to include the competitive shooting program. The shooting team competes in professional matches all over the country. This week's interview is the Camp Valor Outdoors shooting sports program director. His role is to get disabled veterans involved in competitive shooting, no matter the disability. This Marine veteran worked in security forces, counterintelligence, and was in, and was in the infantry. Prior to Camp Valor Outdoors, he was also a weapons instructor with the State Department. So without further ado, I give to you, Marine veteran, Dan Dutzman. Enjoy. So first of all, uh, Dan, thanks for taking the time out of your day to do this. Uh, Dan, tell me a little bit about yourself. Uh, where did you grow up? Where did you... Uh, where, where, did, where did Dan Deuceman come from? <laughs> uh, well, actually, I was born in Oregon, uh, raised there in Oregon. And uh, I started out in the Army National Guard uh, when I was 17. And uh, after doing that for three years, I decided I wanted to go active duty, but uh, I wanted to try something different. So um, I decided I was going to go in the Marine Corps because some of the guys I was drilling with actually came from the Marine Corps and hearing some of their stories, I thought that would be a better fit for me as opposed to uh, going from the National Guard to active duty Army. So I decided to join the Marine Corps. Okay. So you're from the Pacific Northwest as well. Um, did you grow up in the woods like me or? or? I did. Uh, my my family was very big into, um, you know, camping and uh, and everything else. So uh, we didn't do a lot of hunting. Every once in a while we do some hunting, but uh, we definitely we spent a lot of time up in the mountains. Gotcha. Uh, so you went through the National Guard uh, and you met some Marines. Were, were they, had they have already been out? And then join the National Guard, or yeah, they uh, once they did their four years, both uh, both the gentlemen that I was uh, stationed with, if you will, or drilling with, yeah, they had uh, spent four years in the Marine Corps and got out, moved back home into Oregon, decided to uh, join the National Guard, and uh, both of them were uh, former infantry guys. And just talking with them, I thought, you know, this this feels like a you know sounds like it'd be a better fit for me. Um, so that's that's kind of what helped me decide to go active duty Marine Corps. Did they miss it, or what? What was what was the compelling factor? Well, um, 
the camaraderie was different. Um, and I, it's hard to say because I was with the National Guard unit and um, things there are differently. But um, talking with these guys, they they were like brothers and they hadn't even met each other until they joined um, that particular National Guard unit. But immediately, you know, they they seeked each other out and become uh, close friends. And uh, where you saw one, the other one was there. And it was just, it, it, it felt different as mm. opposed to some of the other guys in the unit. So uh, I started hanging out with them and, and picking their brain and hearing some of their stories. Gotcha. Very cool. So we met through Denise, uh, who I met through Rick's Roasters when I did that episode. Uh, did you listen to that? How, how did you come to, to know Born the Battle podcast? Is it because you listened to that episode, talked to Rick? How'd that? Uh, actually, I had I had not heard about the the podcast until uh, Denise had had uh, shared it with me, and so I listened to it and uh, uh, I really enjoyed it. It, it, it I learned a lot about uh, Rick. Uh, sorry, excuse me, Sean and uh, his story. I, I still call him Rick, even though <laughs> even though. You know, I know that's Rich Roasters and like there's no Rick. Even it says that even in the episode, but I still call him Rick. It's that's funny. I, I do too. And <laughs> you know, I've met him years ago and uh he 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 invited me and Denise and we sat there for hours drinking coffee and, and trying to figure out a good blend that we, we really liked and uh you know, so I've known him for a couple of years and I still sometimes call him Rick. <laughs> so <laughs> it's just one of those things. That's funny. Um Talk to me about your, your service. What were some of your roles? What did you, what was your MOS? Um, you know, what were some of the positions that you were in? Well, I started out in the Marine Corps going Marine Corps security forces and I was stationed in Yorktown, Virginia. Okay. Um, now when I was, I was already married and had a kid, uh, when, when I joined the Marine Corps. So, um, uh, I kind of liked fast company, but, uh, they kind of reserved that at the time for Marines that were single because I, I, maybe the op tempo was so high. Uh, they were concerned about, you know, young Marines leaving their families behind sure. for so long. So uh, I ended up going to Yorktown, Virginia, uh, guarding special weapons. And uh, eventually they they transitioned over to Fast Company 2 um, shortly before I moved on to my next duty station. But while I was there, I got the opportunity to attend uh, designated marksman school, a uh, formal school that's tra- uh, taught down in uh, Damnick, Virginia. Didn't know there was a formal school for that. There cool. is. There is. The Marine Corps, uh, at the time, it was two weeks long, um, but the turnover rate was so high they decided to uh, extend it to three uh weeks long okay but anyway um so after that i uh two years of being stationed there and went to third battalion fifth marines uh my normal mos was uh, infantry mm-hmm. and uh so i did a couple um deployments with uh three five and then uh i decided i want to try something new again so when i got back i did a lot move to counter intel um, okay. So talking with some of the guys that were with the Intel community, the counterintelligence community, it sounded really cool and high speed, low drag. But once I got in there, I was like, wow, this is boring. <laughs> because uh, for about every hour that, you're talking this, with, with the uh, same thing anybody. happened to my cousin, my, the same thing, the exact same thing out of my cousin. He was, uh, he was in the band and then he went to MSG and cause he wanted to something a little more exciting. And then he even got, he got enticed with the same thing, high speed, low drag counterintel. Oh, <laughs> yeah. And so for about every hour you're out there doing your job, you're spending about two, two and a half hours behind a computer typing up reports and everything else. And I just, I just, I realized that was not for me. So, sure. um, after doing that for about two years, um, I had the opportunity to go back to the infantry, um, because counterintel 
had merged their MOSs with their with the interrogator translators, which puts their numbers up to like ninety some percentile. Well, the grunts were still really really low on on personnel, so they said, "Oh yeah, you can go back to the grunts." So that's how I ended up going back to the infantry. Um, and but uh, right around just before that happened, uh, I uh, I was uh, with First Intel Battalion, and we had. Uh, Western Division matches and Marine Corps championships happened at Camp Pendleton, California. And uh, I wasn't doing anything at the time. So uh, one of the guys who had shot previously with first Intel battalion said, hey, why don't you come out and shoot? So that's kind of what started me in the competition and arms program. Got you. Interesting. So you were on a, a, a battalion sh- or a, a division t- shooting team or was it a battalion? Well, it, it would have been a battalion, but there's only two of us. So <laughs> <laughs> uh, no one else uh, was able to come out and to participate. So we kind of fell under um, MH, MHG. And uh, okay. with them, we had enough uh, to uh, have a proper team. Exactly. Got you. So while you were in during this whole entire journey, uh, who was either A, your best friend or B, your greatest mentor? Well, it, it, that's a that's an interesting question because throughout my entire career, um, I've had many mentors. Um, sure. And as you know, the way the military works is you're only stationed somewhere for so long and then, you know, you move on. Yeah. Or, or they other people move on. So you kind of lose contact with somebody uh, now with today's uh, social media and stuff. You can kind of keep in better contact with other uh, with some of these guys. But um, at the time. Um, it really depend on where I was stationed at. Sure. Absolutely. So if you were to name one though, who would it be? I would have to say, uh, retired master gunner, Sergeant Ken Roxborough. Okay. So, um, we met up in two, late 2001, early 2002 time period when he came to Quantico and, uh, he was always there to kind of guide me, um, on a professional level, as far as the Marine Corps, uh, he helped me out with some of my shooting, um, as well as the other Marines that were stationed with the Marine Corps shooting team. But he really took a, uh, you know, kind of seek me, uh, seek me out personally to, to work with me and, and mentor me. And, uh, that I really appreciate because I probably would not have stayed in the Marine Corps, um, had I not had someone like him to, to, be that mentorship at what time how how many years had you had in by that time well i see i came in in 95 and that was 2002 time frame so we're looking at about seven years seven eight year was, mark by I was, the uh, coming enlistment. up uh, basically i was coming up on uh, the end of my second enlistment and uh i had to make a decision and sure. uh, at one point in time i was leaning towards getting out and uh you know and again ken roxborough uh, sat down and talked with me and, and for a few hours and you know, we talked about all the pros and cons for staying in or for getting out. And, uh, we realized, I realized, I went home and talked with my wife. We realized that the best thing to do is go ahead and stay in, um, you know, for which would benefit the family as well as, you know, sure. myself on a professional career level. Got you. Um, is it, was it pretty, was it, was there one lesson that you remember him teaching you or was it pretty much the overall mentorship? Uh, I would say it's the overall mentorship. Um, Just someone to look up to. Exactly. Yeah, that's good. Um, So Master Gunner Sergeant Roxborough uh, helped you stay in. What made you eventually leave the Marine Corps? 
Uh, well, my my intent was to go ahead and, and stay in the Marine Corps. I love the Marine Corps. Um, once I kind of got over that hump of my halfway mark, I realized that, uh, you know, this being in the Marine Corps was a lot easier than uh, most people will give it credit for. Sure. I mean, you, you show up to work when they tell you to. Uh, <laughs> they provide you with all the gear and equipment you need. They tell you where to be, when to be. I mean, it's just... It's pretty. It's a pretty easy job. Sure, but I, I really enjoyed it nonetheless. And so my intent was to stay in, in, in until I reached my uh, uh, maximum service limitations. And uh, unfortunately, uh, due to injuries, um, I ended up getting out after about seventeen and a half years of active duty service. Oh wow! Uh, was that in country? Was that um, on train in training? Well, my initial injury was actually in training. Um, here stateside back in 99, um, I had messed up my ankle pretty, pretty good. And, um, I had a, a couple surgeries to repair the damage done and, um, things were good and I was able to deploy with it. Um, however, in country, I think, uh, some of the activities we were doing in country aggravated some of the old injuries and just, uh, end up tearing up some stuff in my ankle and had to come back and get some more repair work done, a couple more surgeries. And eventually got to the point where it was, there was too much damage done and they couldn't fix it for me to stay in anymore. And so, uh, medically I had no other option other than get out. Gotcha. So, you know, according, I'm sure according to the Marine Corps, your, your joints had now become unserviceable. Exactly. <laughs> so when, when did you get out? What year did you get out? I got out in November of 2011. Okay. So it's still slow recovery during the economy around that time. Uh, you know, we were starting to see some support in the veteran community. Um, what was it like transitioning out in 2011? Well, uh, it was actually, for me, it was pretty easy uh, only because I had uh, I had met some of the right people in the right places at the time. So I had a job locked on before I got out. Okay. Um, but I was stressed out until I got that job. Uh, sure. Because I knew that time was coming up and I got to find something you know, that they'll support, uh, my family and I, Absolutely. and, uh, once this job came on, uh, came up, I, I wanted to took the job and that was a firearms instructor with the state department. Okay. So I did that for a few years and, uh, I really enjoyed it. I like teaching marksmanship. Um, and you know, with every job has their, you know, your, your challenges. And, uh, my ankle was beginning to become uh, an issue while continuing work there. So I ended up not being able to work there physically anymore. So what was the, the, the plan after that? How did you find your way to Camp Valor Outdoors? Uh, well, once I got, got uh, basically released medically from the State Department, I was pretty bummed. Uh, I didn't really know what to do. Um, so at one point in time, I, I saw something on Facebook uh, from John Schwint about Camp Valor Outdoors, and uh, I had met him through the Marine Corps through some of the competitions that we had shot together in. And uh, so I gave him a call and I said, why don't you uh, start up a competitive shooting team? Well, he said, I, I'd like to, but I just don't have the time. You know, he's very focused on a lot of the hunting programs and everything else that they do out there in, in uh, Kingsville, Missouri. John Schwint is the, uh, what's, what's his role in Camp Valor? Uh, John Schwint founded Camp Valor Outdoors gotcha. back in 2013. Okay. Gotcha. So he, he's he's the founder. At this point, he doesn't have the bandwidth to expand to a shooting team. He was Not more yet. Gotcha. No, he needs he needs personnel to help him out do it. So um, he said, "Why don't you Why don't you come on board and, and help with it, and you you run the program?" So um, I said, "Okay." <laughs> I wasn't really 
I wasn't employed, wasn't really doing much. So that's kind of how we started the the competitive shooting program. So you're with Camp Val Outdoors and and we got kind of a quick overview from, from uh, our previous guest, Denise Loring. Um, kind of dig in, let us know about the uh, shooting team. Let us know more, what, you know, let us more, know more about uh, what your role is at, at Camp Valor. Well, my role is the shooting shooting sports program director, which okay. is kind of a fancy word for a volunteer that kind of helps coordinate some of our shooting events. But uh, one thing I really uh, have in, enjoyed about uh, competitive shooting is how it can be therapeutic in a lot of different facets, um, more so than some of the other sports or activities out there. How so? Well, when you're on the firing line, you know, you're aiming for a target very, very small. It takes a lot of focus. So we have what what I call steps that you've got to go through to ensure that you're doing what you need to do to deliver a good well-aimed shot down range to the center of your target. So you're going through your steps. And um, when, you, when you first start out shooting, you can have like 50 steps. But as you get more... Uh, experienced, you know, some, some of those things become muscle memory and you knock it, your list down to like 12 and six, you know, whatever it may be. But when you first start, you really focus on your position, you know, that piece of ground that you're standing on, making sure it's a good level, flat piece of ground that you're standing on. You're, you're worried about making sure you, your jacket is fit uh, properly and nice and tight where it's supposed to be and semi loose where it needs to be. And then, you're focused on uh, ensuring you have proper uh, placement of the buttstock and your rifle and cheek mm. stock. Well, so there's so many things that you focus on that you forget about all the other things going on in life. Interesting. So all the things that, you know, whether it be a your disability, um, things going on at work or things going on at home, that all just kind of goes away while you're focusing on delivering that good will aim shot. And so if you're prioritizing in your list of what you need to do um, from very bottom, very base of your position where your feet placement is all the way up to your shoulders, to your forward hand placement, your trigger. So all that stuff, you're you're going through this list. You can't actually go through that and focus on that and be worried about things going on at home or things going on at work or your whatever disabilities you have. Gotcha. So we, and then we, we take that and we talk about that and say, these are the, the same process that you can use off the range when you're at home or at work. So you're at work and you've got, you're getting overwhelmed because you got a million things you got to do. Well, you build that list. You prioritize what needs to be done first and you just go through the steps one at a time until it's all done. And talking with some of our warriors that come out and have applied that same concept outside off the range, they've had uh, a lot of success and, and they could not believe that shooting could be so helpful in that particular case. Interesting. So for those that haven't listened to, to, Denise, to Denise's episode in our archives, uh, what are some things that you guys offer as a nonprofit for Camp Battle Outdoors for potential um, uh, former warfighters that want to come out and, and, and join, the, join the fun? Well, uh, we're open to any veteran from any time era, um, World War II, even we've had a, a one or two guys come out from that time era, believe it or not. No. Wow. Interesting. So, yeah. So we're open up to any any service, uh, any time era. And our intent is to take uh, those veterans that are ill, injured, wounded, uh, disabled and bring them out to the firing line. And uh, a lot of cases we do a lot of competitions, but there's sometimes some of the, some of the veterans just want to come out and do a, a recreational type fire and just, you know, shoots for fun, some rounds down range, 
maybe the weapon system that they used and they're in their time of service or try out a new firearm that they hadn't worked with before, but just basically, you know, go out there and just shoot for and have some fun. Now, I mean, every match we go to, the, the intent is to go out and have fun and, and camaraderie. We all want to shoot good, of course, but the number one intent is to come out there, have fun, enjoy that camaraderie and focus on, um, those steps, those or, steps that you can use on and off of the firing line. Very cool. Very cool. Um, Dan, what's one thing you learned in service that you apply to your role today? I think that would be patience. And what I mean by that is when you're presented with a situation, um, in some cases, you, you know, you got to make a decision right then and there and go with it. Uh, based on the information you got. But when, but when you have the opportunity to take a moment and kind of analyze what's going on so you can make a better, more, more educated decision, if you will, um, that generally works better if, if the situation uh, applies. And, you know, as a young Marine, it was uh, immediate willful being orders, no problem, got it. Sure. As a senior, once you start being in for a while, um, you, that that motto is still there. But sometimes you got to sit back and analyze what's going on, so you can make the proper decisions, so those young Marines can can uh, follow that that immediate willful obedience to orders and 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 succeed. Some, uh, some of the other uh, leadership traits kind of play like like uh, judgment. Exactly. And, yeah. So the exact that's a that's a better way to explain it. It's the leadership traits that I learned in the Marine Corps. I tried to continue to use those in my role with Camp Valley Outdoors as well as at home or anywhere else I go. Very good. Uh, Dan, is there another nonprofit or veteran in the veteran space or in the veteran community that excites you with what they're doing today? Um, you know, there is a lot of programs out there. Um, I, I, I couldn't even tell you how many, um, but I know there's a lot of them out there. I think someone told me in a previous episode, it was like something like 50,000 nonprofits now. Yeah, I, I wouldn't even guess amazing. that many, but so, I mean, there's just a ton. And, you know, every nonprofit organization like that has their strengths and weaknesses. Sure. Um, you know, so it's, it's kind of difficult to pinpoint any one specific um, without knowing a little bit more about the program. Um, however, remembering the brave foundation, we work uh, a bit with uh, Steve Beck and, um, I love what he's doing. He's geared more towards the family of, uh, fallen, uh, service members. And, uh, I think that's very important. You know, we can't forget about those who have uh, come and gone before us who died uh, serving our country. Absolutely. And he does that, um, by honoring them uh, with their families. And that's, I think that's, you know, exceptionally important. And that's all, uh, that is one organization that I, I know pretty well. And, uh, I really, really enjoy what they're, what he's doing and have a lot of respect for what he's doing. As that's well. Im immensely important, you know, as far as, uh, just exactly what you said, not just remembering those that, that have gone, that are gone, but also remember the families that they left behind. Exactly. So, um, that's, that's really great. How can somebody find Camp Val Outdoors for those that haven't listened to previous, the previous episode? Well, we're, we're actually pretty easy to find. Um, our, we have a website, which is campvaloroutdoors.org, all, all one word. Gotcha. And uh, we all, we're also on Facebook and Twitter. 
And uh, we, on our Facebook account, we like to post uh, pictures a lot of, of what we're doing, uh, oh, coming uh, upcoming events and stuff that we'll post on there as well. So anyone who who's following us or supporting us can see what it is that we do. Um, now, pictures can only say so much. So sure, we always like to invite people to come out to some of our events and kind of see what it is that we're doing when you when you go watch a, a competitive shooting event it's it's it is boring i admit it, it is probably <laughs> one of the most boring things to watch the food is good the, the food's good you guys bring out true. some pretty pretty good barbecue yes we do <laughs> but uh to actually go out there and meet some of the uh the warriors that are out there and talk with them Absolutely. i think that's they enjoy that i think it's really important uh, as well so um anyone who wants to come out and support us and and just uh meet some of the uh, the warriors are out there. We'd love to have you out there. I think the funnest thing that uh, I've done with you guys since I started, since I met you, was uh, the uh, the pistol shoot. The very first time I came out with you guys, and you guys not only had a uh, some professional, like high end, very high end professional shooters out there, um, you guys also had um, some some warriors out there that had some very very interesting stories. Yeah, it's interesting to start picking the brains from some of these warriors and hearing some of their stories and. Uh, it, it makes sometimes it makes you feel like well my story I don't feel I don't feel so bad about my <laughs> own story sometimes, um, but there are some really good. good stories. Uh, we we really enjoy having a good time and laughing. That's probably one of the best things that you know everyone always says laughter is the best medicine. Well, we do a lot of laughing. Yeah, um, and it's and it's all good. But um, you know, speaking of the the pistol clinic that we did, yeah, we had some we had the opportunity to bring two of the top pistol shooters in the country out to help us with this clinic and. That was really awesome. And uh, what we do with the shooting side is we kind of kind of do a similar concept. So um, when I started up the program, I started seeking out some of the veterans that were, you know, top shooters and stuff that had retired from the military. And sure. I said, hey, you know, why don't you come on Camp Bel Air Outdoors? And I tell them who we are and what we're doing. And so they come on board. And so we had a cadre of, of you know, top competitive shooters. And then we'd seek out some veterans that maybe never had the opportunity to uh, compete during their time in service or never heard of it or maybe got to shoot a little bit but wanted to get back into it like and we work with them and we teach them what we know about competitive shooting and help them and so we have a typically when we go to events we have a mixture of about half experienced and half new shooters it's like me. Like I said, I, I never knew that there was a, a, a what was it, a designated marksmanship course out at Damnick. Yeah. Uh, uh, I always really wanted to get into shooting while I was still in. I always saw those those other badges, you know, on, right. the, on the thing. And I was like, man, how do I get one of those? Really wanted, like, we got to be on a Marine Corps shooting team. I was like, well, I'm a combat camera. Like, that's just <laughs> not going to be a thing. You know, I, you know, I'd, I if I was going to go to a shooting race, it was to shoot the shooters right. uh, in, a, in a camera sense. Um, so. Yeah, I was, so I was very interested when you when you guys brought that up. Um, Dan, is there anything else that you'd like to add that I haven't asked that I think is important to share to our listeners? Um, yeah, as a matter of fact, you know, there are some individuals that I've met that thought that they couldn't come out and be a part of Camp Valor Outdoor shooting program because mm -hmm. of their disabilities. And that's not the case at all. Um, don't look at your disabilities as a as a roadblock, you know, uh, look at it more as an obstacle. So as an example, we had a, uh, 
a young Marine who was in a wheelchair and he likes to shoot. So we took him out to the range and instead of shooting in the standing position, he sat in his wheelchair and he shot a modified standing position with no support other than sitting down on his chair. And so we figured out ways to make it so he can continue to shoot and compete and have fun. Um, and matter of fact, the civilian marksmanship program has even recognized that and has made it so uh, those with disabilities can still earn distinguished points to get in their distinguished badge. And then uh, another example is we had a, uh, an Air Force warrior who was paralyzed from the armpits down. And so we'd help him get out of his wheelchair and lay on the ground and, and shoot F class from a thousand yard. Oh, wow. And uh, he does very, very well with it. So, you know, whatever disabilities that, um, you know, these veterans have, we will figure out how to work with them or her. And so they can get out there and enjoy that camaraderie and put some rounds down range because that's one thing we all have in common. We've all pulled the trigger before in our military service. And that's something a lot of us miss. So getting back out there and pulling the trigger, uh, it's very, like I said, it's very therapeutic, but it's also, it's also fun. Getting out of the military, I was missing this camaraderie. It's frustrating when you try and talk to people that don't understand. I would be talking, but I wasn't there with them. You just feel so alone. I still had the anger, I still had the addictions, but we didn't talk about that came to a point where it's like, okay, I really need to talk to somebody about this. Family more or less encouraged me, you know, go to the VA, you're a veteran, see what they can do to help you. When you have family, friends, when you have the facilities like the VA and the vet center, it gives me, it gives others encouragement to keep moving forward. It's okay to go get help. It's okay to talk to people because it takes true strength to ask for help. Talking with, with other veterans was the best method for learning the roadmap to success. Hear veterans' real stories of strength and recovery at maketheconnection.net. I want to thank Dan for taking the time out of his day to, to conduct that interview um, and for his patience in getting this released. You can find Camp Valor Outdoors at campvaloroutdoors.com. And there's a link to the competitive shooting program. You can also find them on social media. Their Facebook has all their upcoming events and everything that they offer in the way of shooting matches, as well as hunting and fishing excursions and other events. This week's Born the Battle Veteran of the Week is Navy veteran Mac Edward Hood. This was submitted by listener Julie Emmons. Mac Edward Hood enlisted in the Navy at 17 in 1952. He retired in 1971, finishing his career as a first-class gunner's mate. He was stationed in San Diego, Puerto Rico, Seattle, Honolulu, Great Lakes, Norfolk, and then Gulfport. He also served in Vietnam for three tours. He had three children, eight grandchildren, and 16 great-grandchildren. He's been many things to many people over the years, and I can't speak to all of it. But I think what everyone would say of Mac is that he had an amazing sense of humor. He looked for the funny in everything and always liked to make people laugh. He loved his family and his dogs. He gave great hugs and kisses. And he was a presence you won't soon forget. Sadly, Mac Edward Hood recently passed away 
And that was the words from his granddaughter. We here at Born the Battle honor his service. That's it for this week's episode. If you yourself would like to nominate a Born the Battle Veteran of the Week, you can. Just email us at podcast at va.gov. Include a short write-up and let us know why you would like to see him or her as the Born the Battle Veteran of the Week. If you like this podcast episode, hit the subscribe button. We're on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, pretty much any podcasting app known to computer, tablet, phone, or man. For more stories on veterans and veteran benefits, check out our website at blogs.va.gov and follow the VA on social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, RallyPoint, DEPT Vet Affairs, U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs, no matter the social media, you can always find us with that blue check mark. Thank you again for listening, and we'll see you right here next week. Take care.